church? Hell no. Are you no longer feeling comfortable in church? This podcast is for individuals who are desperately missing God, but don't know how to find Him. Substance abuse, domestic violence, sex offenses, acrimonious divorce can contribute to discomfort in the church. For these individuals, church is just not an option anymore. Ordained minister Dennis Hall and his guests invite you to listen to this podcast for topics that are inspiring, uplifting, and will bring hope to those who just feel church is not relevant in their lives today. I'm Dennis Hall, and we're delighted today to have my good friend George Worley, the pastor of New Creations Restoration Church and Prison Ministry in Indianapolis, Indiana. Welcome, George. Thank you very much. I'm sure glad to be here. Oh, man, we're going to have a good time, I think, talking about something that's been on my mind. And, um, you know, I I have to tell you, George, what kind of tripped this for me was uh, a federal judge this week ordered the Justice Department to look into how uh, all of these people who've been put in uh, jail, prison, for the January 6th big protest there in Washington where obviously they were trespassing on government property and and, uh, went into places unauthorized. There was probably some property damage here and there. But but we've got people who've been incarcerated up there now for months and months. And uh, and on the news reports, I've even heard that some of them have been put in uh, uh, solitary confinement. I begin to think about all that and then think about all the people I've met uh, over the years who have had the experience of being in prison. And, um, and you probably don't even know this, but for 10 years – I had the privilege of leading a Christian ministry to help people who were getting out of prison get back on their feet. It was called Reentry Ministries. I did that for 10 years, and I got to know so many of these people who had had the prison experience. And uh, I know you're involved in prison ministries now, and I think in your early life, you yourself had an experience in prison. I did, I did, and it wasn't it wasn't a very good one. But it took me it took me a long time uh, to realize that that wasn't a life. I've always been incarcerated, walking in lines, and uh, let other people tell you what to do. Right, right. You know, um, one of the things that I can't imagine, but I have heard people talk about this before. And that is when they hear that steel door shut and they realize they've just lost their freedom. Uh, Thinking about the guys you're interacting with now and your own experience, uh, uh, what's your feeling about, what does that do to a man when that happens? Just a total loss of your freedom. Well, you know, uh, you realize that that you're all alone at that time. You know, um, it just everything life seems to stop and everything goes on their time their wishes at that moment and you, you i mean you're just you're all alone in a room by yourself or you can at some some degree you may even have a roommate but doubtfully 
you that usually happens like uh, in a uh, in a county jail. You may have a roommate in a county jail, or you may be in a in a big room with with a bunch of men that have created crimes or done crimes. Right, right. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I, I've never been inside as an inmate a prison. I've been in prisons uh, to visit people in prisons, but I've never had the experience of being incarcerated. So I, I can't even imagine that. You know that's a that's an experience that I think is uh, uh, you know can be devastating to some people, and we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. You know the other piece of it is I hear prisoners talk about things that they took for granted, uh, certain foods or certain items that they just took for granted before they were in prison, and once they were in prison and realized they didn't have access to that anymore, it became almost a a consuming thought for them. Um, have you seen this among prisoners? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you you met a friend of mine. Oh, yeah. His, his name was Cruiser. Right. And uh, when he was incarcerated, his number one desire was to have a real orange, just a, a typical orange off of a tree. And uh, he uh, he craved that. Well, I was I was a uh, uh, doing prison ministry, and uh, I kind of I don't want to say I had run of this small prison, but I kind of did. I went from dorm to dorm on a weekly basis. I would go in there one one night a week, and I would just go from dorm to dorm, and that's how I met him. I never could get this guy into church, but he would come and hang out at the door. And one day, I just asked him. I said, "Hey, man," I said, "You know, because him and I." Uh, kind of knew each other on the street and things. And I asked him, I said, what do you have a desire for? He said, man, he said, I really want an orange. I said, an orange. Huh? He said, yep, just an orange. So I went to the fruit place and I got gate passes to bring in oranges. But at the same time, I had to bring in enough for everybody, which at that time there was about 365 people or so in there. That's a lot of oranges. <laughs> That's a lot of oranges. And it was it was all right because I, I was able to bring that man uh the desire to have that one orange. And in the long in the long run what happened is he, he found Christ or he found Jesus. Wonderful. In his life. Yeah, do you think just the simple things become huge to people that are incarcerated. And then then we read stories about famous prisons and famous jails where uh, personal security becomes major. You know, we hear about assaults and stabbings and even murders within prison walls, uh, prisoners making these shanks to use as weapons. Uh, So all of a sudden, a person who maybe didn't have to worry about their personal security all the time is in a place where they now have to. They absolutely have to. You know, I was I was in a prison in Indiana, uh, and it was Westfield Correctional Facility, and I was there at a time when they said the tunnels were open, and they were actual tunnels. There were no movement above ground whatsoever on this side of the prison. Everything was done underground in, in tunnels, and uh, you everywhere you went was in tunnels. And every day, every day, not just some days, but every day there was somebody stabbed or 
abused or misharmed inside those tunnels. I know. And, and you know, the people out here in the outside world um, can't imagine living in an environment where your personal safety is that much at risk, where every time Absolutely. you go out on the yard, <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. You do not know. Yeah. You do not know. And, you know, there's there's some people never leave uh, their area. I mean, they, when I say they don't never go to the TV, they don't never get the only time they go out of their room is to go to the restroom or go to uh, take a shower. And uh, then they're paying somebody to watch their stuff so it doesn't come up missing, you know, and they feel so unsafe and they live the rest of their lives or their sentences out like that. Right. You know, um, and then, of course, another thing that we hear about a lot that I think really scares a lot of people when they're being threatened with prison time and uh, jail time is uh, the rapes that occur in prison. This, this, this total loss of any kind of sexual contact that occurs once you're incarcerated. And then it, we see that somehow manifested in um, rapes. That occur in prison. I had a, a guy tell me about uh, going into uh, a prison two or three years ago, and they said they made him sit through a program for the new prisoners on how to prevent being raped. Well, you know, when I was there, uh, you never—they never had a program like that. But uh, you learned real fast where to be and where not to be. Yeah, And uh, you really needed to, if you didn't know anything about self-protection, you learned it real fast. Yeah. Uh, and I don't care who you were, you know, because when I, when I, the first time that I arrived uh, inside of a grown man's prison, I, um, I, I was a little bitty guy. You know, I weighed, I weighed, I don't know, 125 pounds. Uh, and I was just a little short guy. Uh, and I learned real fast, real quick, that I needed to be uh, protecting myself. So, because I had no one else there. Right. Yeah. Um, well, it, it must have been a scary time. And and to me, I've had I've had prisoners say to me that that was one of the scariest parts of uh, being in prison, and that is the threat of rape. And it was so scary to them. And, uh, um, you know, I have heard some psychologists say that uh, that um, even with all of those pains of prison life, that the, the most impacting piece of everything is the separation from your family and friends and the, the outside world. I mean, this separation of family and friends is the most impacting piece of it all. Well, there's one thing about you really find out who cares about you when you get incarcerated. Uh, you find out who your friends are, who really cares about you, and who doesn't care about you. And a lot of times you find that uh, even your immediate family, there's not a – by the time – a lot of times by the time a man gets to prison – he has already broken all the bonds with his family, not because that he doesn't love them. It's because of a drug abuse 
uh, or abuse totally, you know, to what they have done. He's done to his family or she has done to her family or, you know, robbed and stole from him, that kind of stuff. So uh, it takes a whole lot of things to happen while you're incarcerated to even gain your family members back. Yeah. And if you have someone that's backing you up, that's uh, that's a real hard thing, too, is to uh, know that your family doesn't you've messed up enough that uh, your family doesn't want anything to do with you. Sure. You know, um, um, all of these things have to have an emotional, psychological and even spiritual impact on oh yeah individuals i mean i mean i hear people talking about uh you know having people not only in prison but even after they're discharged from prison suffering from uh, delusions thinking things are going on that really aren't or or paranoia thinking everybody's out to get them that everybody's scheming to to take advantage of them that just last you know, goes on even after they're out of prison. They do, and I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, men and women that are that are on medication while they're incarcerated. That uh, automatically, when they come out of being in prison, uh, they they end up going through withdrawals because they can't get that same medication any longer, and the prison system doesn't help them. All they do is kick them out. Right. So they have to find a doctor or someone that would believe their stories that they're going through these things, you know, to uh, medically help them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I know some people who've never been in prison who suffer from claustrophobia, uh, just cannot stand to be enclosed in at all um, to the point of – you know, actually having a panic attacks when they're enclosed in anything. I know people have to medicate themselves to get on an airplane because it's totally enclosed. And um, it seems that a lot of people who've spent time in jails and prison seem to experience that. You know, once they've been confined so long, it's like they never want to be confined again. There's there's a lot there's a I don't want to say a lot but there's a few that uh, that are incarcerated that do have those effects in their lives uh, that say I'd never want to go back but they are uh, repeated repeat offenders and it is it is so sad because the uh, recidivism rate is really really high I want to say it's probably 80 85 percent of the people that are incarcerated always return well i just read uh actually uh um the prison mission association uh, says that two out of three will return within three years yep that is absolutely amazing and you think about that and uh, right now today according to the website uh, statista uh we've got about 1.4 million people in the country incarcerated and we're admitting that two out of three are going to go back within three years. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's just staggering numbers. Well, you know, by being – I'm a chaplain at the Johnson County Jail in um, Franklin, Indiana. And uh, I see I see it – when I'm in there, I, I see it often. You know, because of the pandemic, I haven't been there in a year. But uh, when I'm in there – 
uh, I see it over and over and over. Yeah. One thing after another. You know, it starts with little petty crimes, and before you realize it, it's uh, escalated into something that's uh, unreal. Right. Right. You know. And, and you know, working in uh, the program that I worked in for 10 years, Reentry Ministries, uh, uh, we had that experience, you know, probably at least half of the people we worked in end up going back to prison. Uh, the few su- the, su- the success stories we had were wonderful, uplifting, and uh, and it it uh, motivated you to keep keep uh, ministering to these men, mostly men that we were dealing with, and so these numbers are real to me. Uh, you know, if you add in all of the people who are getting out on parole and uh, uh, probation, uh, that number rises to about, when you include the incarcerated, to about 6.3 million people, uh, according to Statista. Um, And uh, we just have this huge population of people who've had a prison experience. They're either incarcerated or they're on probation or parole and and they're having these tremendous difficulties. You know, this this population is uh, known to suffer from depression commonly. Um, and you know, you mentioned earlier substance abuse. It seems to be a big problem uh, for people getting. Maybe maybe they're uh, searching out illegal drugs to deal with the prison pain. Oh, absolutely. In prison and out of prison, it is the exact same thing. They're always looking for something to stimulate themselves to the fact that they asleep or uh, they will be awake or, you know, there's just different things that I guess it's personal preference to a lot of people of, uh, you know, as they would say on the street, drug of choice. Or an AA meeting to be a drug of choice of what they desire to have. That's what they start seeking out. You know, uh, I would I would say that probably eighty five percent of the people that uh, are on drugs today are on heroin. Wow! And and that's just I mean everybody that everybody that I come in contact with in and out of prison they are on they're on heroin. Wow! You know, and it's sad. Yeah, and you know uh, the when you've had bad experiences in your life, uh, sometimes you end up not just depressed, but having daily problems, sleepless nights, insomnia, nightmares about your experiences. Uh, so there's a lot of real, I mean, real raw emotional uh, impact from being incarcerated, and then uh, then I see. Those who've come out of prison sometimes have, uh, sometimes are very hostile to people around them. They have an increased level of hostility, and maybe that's because that's the way they've learned to deal with their prison life. Sure, and I and 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 they are they're they're mad about everything, you know, and, and you know the hostility does. I mean, it it is. Uh, uh, once once they're out not long no longer incarcerated they i mean they carry that same thing while they're incarcerated and that's where they pick it up because uh they get to this uh self-protection thing while they're incarcerated uh and they and again they think everybody's after them so 
you know, they're re- they're ready uh, to pull the trigger at any time. And I use that word. I mean, they're ready to fight. Right. They're ready to do whatever it takes to survive. Exactly. And that's and that's what it is like in in a place like that. Is you have to be able to survive and and want to live and to keep life going. Right. Exactly. You know, Pastor George, I, I was driving. This has been several years ago now. I was driving on the interstate from Birmingham, Alabama to Atlanta, and it was a hot, hot August day. The temperature was hovering around 100 degrees, and I pulled up a ramp to get on the interstate, and this very large man was standing there with his shirt soaking wet from perspiration, had a jug of water sitting on the ground, a little nap stack there. And for some reason, some little voice said, pick that man up. I picked it, I pulled over. He, he piled in my car, and we took off. And, of course, I don't recommend picking up hitchhikers to people, but I did that day, and he's not the only one I've ever picked up. But on that day, I picked him up, and, uh, and he got in. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to New York. And I said, where are you coming from? California. Really? Well, um, I said, what are you going to New York for? Well, I'm hoping to find work up there. What do you do? I'm a construction worker. Well, I would think they'd have a lot of construction jobs in California. And uh, he said, well, they do. He said, but I'm actually trying to get away from some people that are not good for me and maybe find a place to have a new life. And I said, well, man, what in the world would cause that he said uh, i just got out of san quentin i said really i said how's a man get him into get himself into san quentin he says pretty easy i killed a guy <laughs> well i would think that would be a good way to get yourself into san quentin and then he began to tell me about all the things you and i've been talking about that happened you know beatings stabbings rapes murders everything else that he did that shared with me his brother was still there in San Quentin for a murder charge. And um, and so we talked, and then I kind of noticed a little Bible sticking out of his little knapsack, and I pointed to it. I said, where'd you get that? He said, while well, I was in prison, I became a Christian. I realized there was somebody bigger than me, and I became a Christian in prison. And he told me about the prison ministry there and how he became a Christian in prison, and uh he said some guys picked him up hitchhiking over in Mississippi. They must have had a similar conversation with him because they took him by their house and gave him the Bible. So he, the Bible he had in his little knapsack was one some other guys gave him over in Mississippi that had picked him up hitchhiking. So we traveled on to Atlanta, and we stopped and had lunch. And I got to know this man more and more, and he was you know, a big 6'4", 250 kind of guy, big, huge man. And uh, we got ready to leave, and I said, I can take you to the other side of Atlanta, but that's as far as I can take you. And he was so grateful. But then he said this to me. He said, I want you to pray for me. I said, I will. What do you want me to pray about? He said, I want you to pray that when I get to New York, there will be some Christian that will be willing to be my friend. So far, it hasn't happened. I made that my prayer. 
Interestingly enough, it was the next day that I got a call about getting involved in reentry ministries. I kind of look back on it now and say, you know, God was preparing me for that call the next day. But I see this a lot where Christians really, you know, what did Jesus tell us? You know, I was in prison and you came to visit me. What are your, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. But we Christians seem to have a problem with the incarcerated. I know there are lots of prison ministries. There are. There really are a lot of prison ministries across the country. But when people get out and are in society, and the guy who just got out of San Quentin who murdered somebody is living next door to you, Christians seem to have a problem with that. They do have a problem with it. I mean, uh, it was it was not a good it was not a good thing for me when I first came out of prison because I found I found the Lord when I was incarcerated, uh, and I found the Lord in nineteen eighty eight uh, while being at the Indiana State Farm. I I'm also I'm also I also do motorcycle ministry, and uh, they was there was a bulletin came on said the bikers are going to be at the chapel. Well. I, uh, you know, I just begin to laugh because of the things of the world. You know, the bikers are going to be at the chapel. Yeah, really. So I went there and I just kind of, uh, just like hid, thought I was hiding by myself. And, uh, they were watching me every service and I would just cut out, you know, and then, uh, I stayed for a three day revival. And at the end of that three day revival on, uh, uh, November the 6th, 2 o'clock in the afternoon was my date of uh, uh, rebirth. And uh, that's a very important day in a lot of people's lives. I know it was an important day for me. Oh, yes. And uh, when they they, they stopped me, they, they had seen they had been shooting out the door, out the back of the chapel. And uh, they put these two great big guys there. And uh, I never noticed them sliding into the door. But as I got up to take off, they were at the door, and they wouldn't let me by. They were much larger than I was, and uh, it was hard to push them around. So they said, hey, you know, uh, we're here today because uh, somebody wants to talk to you. Well, I heard the pitter-patter of a woman's feet coming up an aisle, and that's what she had said to me. She said, I love you. And I went, like, you love me? How is that? You don't even know me. She said, well, Christ lives inside of me, and uh, that's how I love you. And I know you need Jesus. And, you know, uh, it it took a lot for me to uh, grasp that in a real fast moment. And, uh, you know, I disputed every bit of that. Not that I was atheist or uh, agnostic or anything like that. I just just refused to believe that because they didn't know me. Because everybody else that ever uh, said they loved me, they were looking for hundred dollar bills. Right. You know, uh, you know, because I was in I was in that lifestyle that there was a lot of hundred bills came across my palms, and uh, uh, most women that approached me, that's what that's all they was after. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, so uh, I was when I being incarcerated. That's how I found Jesus. Right. Well, you know, that woman who approached you, she gave, gives us a great example. I, I mean, I would tell people today, when if you're going to reach out to somebody who's been incarcerated or, or somebody uh, who's just in deep trouble, 
because of their lifestyle, that word and that sentence, I love you, has such an impact. Uh, I remember, I'm not going to tell you the story on this episode, but perhaps a future episode we might talk about it uh, where uh, I was able to tell this this guy happened to be a a biker uh, who was in deep trouble. And when I said those words to him, uh, he grabbed me in a big bear hug and said, you're the first man that ever said to me, I love you. And from that point on, everything changed. And it was just, you know, Jesus... When in his walk on earth, um, you know, he, he, he intentionally sought out the most corrupt criminals in those days. Uh, many of them were the tax collectors who became rich by taking advantage of all the people. And, uh, you know, when he, when he was attacked and criticized about uh, having suppers with the tax collectors and the sinners, uh, in Mark 2, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. You see, and if we're going to be Christ-like, Jesus has set the example for us. He did. You know, in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, uh, but God demonstrated his own love towards us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. You know, and as we, if we think about that a moment, I mean, God did it, and he did it because he loved us. John 3, 16 said, God so loved the world that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He sent his only son. Yeah, you know, I think about this often. You say, well, you know, if Jesus was here with us today, where would he be? Who would he be with? Well, if, if he would be the same as he was in the Scripture, he would be with those in the prisons. He would be with the sex offenders. He'd be with the people who, who've uh, committed uh, uh, domestic violence in their homes. These are the people that I believe Jesus would be seeking out today. Oh, I'm sure of it. You know, uh, he said, I'm no prospector of a persons, but I love everyone. everyone. Yeah. And uh, you know, to a lot of people, they would say, well, what does that mean? Well, that means it doesn't make no difference whether you're white, black, green, or gray. He still loves you. It doesn't matter what the sin was that you could, that you committed. If you ask for forgiveness in your life and ask Christ to come into your life, he is quick and just right. to forgive you of all your sins. Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. And you know... Throughout the scripture, over and over again, we can find verses about how God is going to set the prisoners free. You know, we can find in Psalms where it talks about he will lead forth the prisoners with singing. And uh, we can just find uh, a number of those kind of verses throughout the scripture. And so... You know, one of the things I think about is when we read these scriptures um, and he's talking about the prisoners, aren't we all, aren't we all in bondage and imprisoned by sin? Every one of us? Every one of us. We don't have to be incarcerated behind bars or behind a steel door. Uh, 
if we don't know Jesus in our lives, you know, uh, and Bible study last night, I was telling this individual, he was telling me uh, what a good person he was and how uh, he uh, he really didn't attempt to commit sin. And I just had to tell him, I said, it doesn't make no difference how good you are. It's about, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you accepted him as your personal savior? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? If he's not your Lord, I promise you, you will not make it into the kingdom of God. Yeah, you know, and uh, and when we go to the scripture and think about some of the great personalities in the scripture, um, Moses, a murderer, the apostle Paul, murdered Christians. King David had his lover's wife killed in battle. And and so God chooses some of the most egregious things to build when on. You're, yeah. When you're when you're uh when you're a minister of the gospel or even a uh, a disciple of Christ, and I use the word disciple, a man that will share the word of God, you always hear the same story where God won't accept me. Right. He won't never forgive me. Right. I've done too. I've done too much. Yeah. And you know, and the the word the word of God tells us that that His word is sharper than in in uh, Hebrews chapter uh, four and verse twelve and says, "For His word, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two edged sword, piercing every every to divide the soul." And the spirit and the joint in the mire to enter into the hearts of those that love him. Right. So, you know, what the scripture is telling us, what God and Jesus are telling us, is your past doesn't have to dictate your future. I mean, it does not. You 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 can repent from your mistakes and renounce your sins and become a great disciple uh, in God's hands. Well, you know, the first thing that I uh, that I can tell you is, is I uh, in life when I was because, you know, I run with a lot of motorcycle people uh, before I found Christ and even after Christ. Uh, you know, I, I like to say that I have a joint ministry, uh, threefold ministry, uh, not the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, but uh, all of them is what leads me. But I have a church ministry. I have uh, a jail ministry and I have a motorcycle ministry, and I say I have them. Jesus leads every Jesus leads every one of them, and uh, allows me to just be there to share the word of God. And uh, you know the word of the word of God says uh, says in Romans chapter ten and verse seventeen says uh, so faith comes by hearing and hear the word of God. If those people don't hear the word of God, if somebody don't go to them and tell them about Jesus, uh, they'll they'll never transfer. They'll never find Jesus. They'll never know anything about God. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's it's the it's the verse out of uh, Isaiah where we say, "Here am I, Lord, send me, send me." Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, and you know, you use that scripture. That just all that does is that emphasizes who Jesus really is. Right. You know, Jesus has told the Father, said, Lord send me. I'm the one. 
And, you know, uh, the Word of God said that we are in God's image. We are like Him. We need to talk like Him. We need to walk like Him. And we need to look like Him. And the only way we can do that is through the, through the Word of God and through the love that God has demonstrated in us to share with other individuals. That's right. That's part of that Christ-like love, Pastor George. You know, uh, uh, there's there will be people listening to us that have had the prison experience. There will be people listening to us who they've had people in their family or friends who have been in prison. And one of the great lessons I think that we're focusing on in our conversation is, is that kind of past does not determine who you are and who you can be in the hands of God and that there is a great uh, uh, future that is there for all who have had the uh, prison experience uh, if they will allow God to be a part of their life. Exactly. Uh, you know, what I haven't said to you, and you, I heard you mention about San Quentin, about murders and killers and all that thing there. Uh, my last case was attempted murder. Yeah. And, and Christ reached down and touched me when I felt like I was untouchable. He lifted me up at a time in my life when I needed somebody. The whole world had quit. The world had turned their, all the system had thrown me into a cell and locked me up. Right, right. And if they'd had their way, they'd have thrown me under the jail. Yeah. Well, let me just sum up what we've been talking about here, Pastor George. It's been so wonderful to have you on here, and I know that there'll be a time when you and I get together again and do a, another podcast. But for those who've been listening to us, uh, there is hope in Jesus Christ for everyone, including those who've had a terrible prison Experience. They may turn out to be some of our great uh, evangelists for the Lord in modern day. It's been a pleasure to have you here today. Pastor George, it's so wonderful for me to get to talk to you again, and I know that we'll see each other soon. I love you, man. I love you too, my friend. Okay, great. <laughs>